This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. I want you to go to two passages of scriptures. We're going to go to a few, but you can mark Luke 22 and you can mark John chapter 13. But we'll probably start in the book of Psalms, chapter 23. So we'll bookmark those pages. Once again, we're going to continue in lines of restoration. You have not been forgotten, so don't forget your brethren. That is so important. I want you to say, stay in Luke. Let's stay in Luke chapter 22. We'll just bookmark Psalms 23 and John chapter 13. And in the beginning of this message, I'm going to give you a few things. I want to give you a few things to write down. I know I'm, we're limited on time, but you know what? I'm going to say what needs to be said. You know, I'm not going to be in a hurry to finish. I, you know, I got some notes. I got, you know, you know I, I believe this. I believe I've just skimmed the top of it of what, as it pertains to the subject that I'm going to talk about. There's, there's so much more and, and because we're going to talk about the service of Jesus Christ. And when we talk about the service and what He did, that's profound. The Scripture says in Psalms 145, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And it talks about His greatness is unsearchable. You cannot search out His greatness and, and then complete it. You're, you're going to, that, that's, a, that's a never-ending task. You know, his greatness is unsearchable. So Luke chapter 22, let's start there. And we're going to read this morning. I hope you're able, I hope you're sitting there with your Bibles and you know, you read out loud if you need to read. I know when you're a bunch of, with a, like me, I can read out loud. When you're with your family, you know, read along with me. But we're going to talk about the life and, and I, I appreciate my sister Castile that she left me exactly where I'm going to pick up on Luke chapter 22, talking about the life of Peter and John 21 also. But let's read... Where do I want to start? Because we're going to read quite a few, few, quite a few things. So let's see. Let's start at 15. And we're going to read a few things and then I'm going to skip over to where I want to be. But 15, this is the actual Passover. Uh, this is uh, the feast of, uh, before the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He asked the disciples to prepare with John and Peter to prepare the, the Passover that he wanted to eat with his disciples. And in verse 15 he says, With desire. And he said unto them, with desire I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also, the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he's betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And there was also a strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, 
And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors, but ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that serveth. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Let's go to verse 31. After he said all these things to his disciples, after all, and because this is a, this, these, we read the scriptures as these things are just happening one right after another. This was a long discussion. This was, this was a feast they were having and there was things going on during this feast. There was some time spent at this feast, at this table. There were some discussions had at this table. Things conspired at this table. It wasn't just a pass by, we're going to eat, we're going to have communion. We take communion and we remember the Lord. But they had a feast at their communion, at this communion. So, I hear at the very end of it, he said, Simon, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan had desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt deny, thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And, and I like this fact that he leaves after everything, because this is probably towards the end of all things, because other passages of scriptures talk about that they left the feast and they went to the Mount of Olives. But he told them also, in Matthew chapter, I believe it's 26, he told them, all of you are going to be offended with me this night. He didn't just point at Peter, he, he gave them all this feast, laid it out before them, everything that he, he, did, he did, and he said, Peter, Simon, Simon, he goes, thou, you know, Satan had desire to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. That thy faith fail not. And when you're converted, strengthen thy brethren. You know, we take this passage of Scripture and we've got to go back and understand everything that went on. Because I believe, and, and you're going to see it, Peter was now at a place of restoration. But Peter unknowingly already needed restoration. He was already, in, and, that's, and that's the thing about us. Sometimes we come to places and situations in life where things happen. It's like, man, I need to be restored. No, your restoration, you had need of it before. Because the way you responded to that situation just showed you, I need to be restored. But your restoration, you had need of it. There were some things going on with you. All these messages that have come forth during the pandemic about, you know, uh, about the, the, the hidden work. Of the preparation, all these things about examining yourself, all these things, I guarantee you that the Spirit of God has brought things upon your life and brought things up and said, that is you. That's who you are. You're not what you portray in front of people sometimes. You are who you are when you come across these situations and trials and struggles and tests and they come up and you may think, I need restoration now. God was like, no, you needed, you've always needed restoration. These things have just come up to show you you need to be restored. But, and, that's, and, and that's the way I look at, at Peter. Peter was like, you know, he still didn't and think about it. Peter still did not believe Jesus. He looked at him and said, you know, no, Lord, I'm ready to die for you. And a lot of times we, we think we're ready. We're, we sit in this congregation saying that we're ready to do this and we're ready to do that. Myself, I'm ready to do this. I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden things come up and they don't happen. We don't do them. And, and God is like, you've always needed restoration. That's just your show to other people. But I know you. And, and I've laid something out for you. I want you, I want you to understand about, about Jesus. Everything that happened at that communion at that Passover was to prepare Simon and the others to be restored. 
Every single thing that happened, the things that happened, things that He said to them, things He implemented, things He did before them were just showing them this is, your, this is the key to your restoration. Why do you think He told them? When you're restored, when? He didn't say if. He said when you are restored. Because He knew Peter. He knew these disciples. He chose them. And I would say this, God knows you. God knows you. Think about it. I look at it this way. We were talking about the next gen. And we've seen these next generation individuals. We've seen them struggle. We've seen them go through things. We've seen them have you know, difficulties, not being able to do this. And I've been there too. I've you know, been doing things, sat down, all these different things that happen in our lives. But you, one thing that's beautiful is that when I look at next gen, I see you. When somebody looks at you, you're still here. You're still present. And see, that's what you've got to understand. Peter, Peter was still present in God's life. You are the, don't you remember what he said? He goes, you are with those that have continued with me through my temptations, through my struggles. You stayed. See, the beautiful thing about it is, you know that Judas was there during the Passover? You know that Judas had his feet washed? You know that Judas, Judas partaked of the meal? He did all of those things. But I think, I think this about Judas. No one will be left without an excuse that they didn't have an opportunity to repent. Everyone in this ministry will have an opportunity to repent. And God knows your heart. Even when you've struggled and you haven't been able to do certain things, God says, I remember you. And I know you. I know that you're going to do this. I know it. See, God knows you. I look at it and say, man, if I believe in you, how much more does God believe in you? If Minister Hasten, Minister Martin, Minister Stinson, you know, Minister Rivers, Minister Castillo, Minister Eberhardt, all these ministers, these deacons, if they see you and encourage you and believe in you, how much more does your God say, I am going to be there for you? See, the beautiful thing about it is when Peter needed somebody, it was the Lord that showed up. It was the Lord that showed up. But... I like it this way. I say this about that. Uh, that restoration is is even though it's an individual. And I'm gonna, I'm not going to get away from my notes. Let's define some things because I'm going to get away from my notes if I do that. Restoration. We're going to answer two things. What is restoration and who does the work? What is restoration and who does the work? That's what we've been defining throughout this uh, 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 pastor's appreciation month. Restoration, I want you to write these down. And we're going to take about 10-15 minutes to write some things down. But restoration is the power of God. Restoration is the power of God working within me and around me. Restoration is the power of God working within me and around me. Because remember, it's an individual work and it is a corporate work. So restoration is the power of God working within me and around me, bringing me to the point, the point, a place, bringing me to a point of wholeness, of fruitfulness. And I'll repeat this, to a place where I'm glorifying God. Restoration is the power of God working within me and around me, bringing me to a point of wholeness of fruitfulness to a place where I am glorifying God. And with that said, I would say this, restoration belongs to God alone. He is the God of restoration. That means that the purpose, and I'll repeat this, the purpose, the plan, and the power to restore belongs to Him alone. The purpose, 
The plan and the power to restore is His alone. So restoration belongs to God alone. He is the God of restoration. That means that the purpose, the plan, and the power belongs to Him alone. He is the God of restoration. But that does not mean that man is left without a responsibility. See, when, you de- when we define what restoration means, you'll see, well, God is not doing that. Because restoration, how it's defined, denotes man's responsibility. But God is the restoring God. All power. See, at the very end, it wasn't people that restored Peter. It was the Lord himself that restored Peter. That's why he's bringing you. But, but the thing is, the, the, the process is not just within. Because remember, it's the power of God within. But it's also the power of God around you. And there is a power of God working around you. That if you just neglect the power of God working around you, that's where the problem with people say, I hear from God myself. God speaks to me by myself. I don't need anybody else. You have no restoration in your life. Because you need another man to be restored. You need somebody else to be. You cannot do it by yourself. You cannot close yourself in and say, now you can close yourself in for the hidden work of preparation, but you cannot close yourself in for the work that's going to go around you because God will not finish restoring you without that outside work, without the work, the power of God working around you. And that's the thing that we have to understand. I believe Peter, and so we're going to keep on right here. So we're going to examine this part. Let's examine the part that we play in restoration. Let's go to Psalms 23. Psalms 23. Hope I am not going too fast for you guys. Psalms 23. Everybody knows Psalms 23. And then remember Luke 22 where it says, When thou art converted. Because we're going to define restoreth and converted. We're going to define those two words real quick. Still got a few minutes just to define some words. Psalms 23, starting at verse 1. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. I want to stop there. We can continue reading it. Because this is all talking about, really, this is talking about the inward and outward work. That power of God working inwardly and outwardly. Because when you read, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down. He's not necessarily make you do nothing. He's not making you. But it is Him who is actually leading you. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me. Remember I told you that it brings you. It's the power of God to restore you. Bring you to a place of wholeness. A place of fruitfulness. A place where you're glorifying glorifying Him. See, remember, this is not only about your restoration. I told you, you haven't been forgotten. And you've heard God speaking to you. But what about your brethren? What about your brother? What about those? See, it's so easy to, to, to focus. Well, this is my unseen hidden work. And you can talk about, this is how God has restored me. And this is what God has done for me. And this is what God, this is, what God is speaking to me. And this is how God is dealing with me. And then you say, but how are you dealing with your brethren? 
How are you making sure? Because remember, no one in this ministry should be forgotten. Not one person under the covering of Church of the Living Water should be forgotten. But then you ask yourself, as for me, what are you doing to make sure that no one is forgotten? How are you? And see, you may think, but I'm still in the point of restoration. Let me tell you something. Peter was too, and he was asked to remember his brethren. Even at the time of his restoration, and you're going to see that today. See, your point of restoration, while I'm being restored, does not negate the fact or the truth that you still have to concern yourself for your brethren. Somebody out there needs you. Somebody out there needs, I need somebody. I need, you're, I'm going to tell you this, we talk about the members, not forgetting the members. Your pastor is a member of the local body. She is not excluded as a member because she's pastor. She's a member of the local body that needs these things. These same things that I'm talking about in, in John, we're going to talk about in Luke 22 and John 13. These things was for all disciples. It was not for, there was no, in this meeting, there was no apostle. There was no prophet. There was no evangelist. There was no pastor. There was no teacher. But he said, I'm leaving you an example of how you're supposed to treat one another. He said, this has nothing to do with a title. This has everything to do with a command and a responsibility. Something he says, I'm leaving you. He said, and, I, and you, you'll notice that even after this point, that's what they talked about. So you, you didn't, we talked about the love you have for one another. The love of the disciples. John spoke of it anyway, uh, uh, constantly. He said, how can you say you love your brother? How can you say you love God and hate your brother? He said, you, you hate your brother. You have no, no light in you. You're living in darkness, even now. And, and the thing is, he said, how are you treating your brother? How are you communicating with your brother? How are you bringing them up? That is the question God is asking us. So, when we look at this word restoreth, and I start ministering about certain things, but I really want to define these words. Restoreth means to return. To return. Make a linear, linear motion. A linear motion. L-I-N-E-A-R. Linear motion back to a point previously departed. I like the way it defines it. Because he says it's making a linear motion back to the point where he had departed, previously departed. And then it says it also means to turn. So it means to return and to turn. This word turn, it means to make a non-linear pivot move to change a direction. So, it's interesting, we're going to read them again. To return means to make a linear motion back to a point previously departed. And it also means to turn, to make a non-linear pivot move for a change in direction. And then we're going to define convert real quick in Luke chapter 22. To return. I like it again. Come back to a point. I'm bringing you back to a point. Something that you previously parted. To change one's belief. Change an opinion concerning a truth. Change one's ways. Change a behavior. And I'll repeat them again. To restore means to return. Make a linear motion back to a point previously departed it also means to turn that is to make a non-linear pivot move for a change in direction to convert it means return come back to a point change one's belief change an opinion concerning a truth change one's ways change a behavior so my question is in when we talk about who does the work we already we already define god is god is the god that restores the power belongs to Him. The plan belongs to Him. The purpose belongs to Him. But the process belongs to you. As it pertains to the walk. 
It belongs to you. Again, God is a restoring God, but the work involved to be positioned to be restored belongs to man alone. To position ourselves to be restored belongs to us. As we see in these definitions, look at them. Restore and convert. God is not returning in a linear motion to a place where he previously departed. He's not. God is not, uh, as, we, as we read, he is always on point. He doesn't change his belief or his opinion on a truth. He is the truth. He's the Lord God that doesn't change. So why would he have to be restored? Or why would he have to do the work of restoration? The work of restoration, these de- definitions define man's responsibility. Period. All those definitions that we meant, that's man's de- responsibility. I have to turn. I have to, I have to make a... See, it's not only the turn, it's making the linear motion back to the point where you previously departed. I know Minister, uh, 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 Minister uh, Eberhard mentioned that he doesn't take you back to the beginning. God doesn't take you back to the beginning. But there are certain points that he made, certain things that he said, like where he said he brings you to the place where you're hearing God again. That's a constant for the restored. You always have to hear God. When you stop, when something interrupts your mind, he's going to bring you right back to the place where you're hearing God. He's going to bring you right back to the place where you, where, where you left. The point that he makes. There are certain points that he makes. For the believer, he will always bring you back to that point. He will never leave those points. And that point is only to make you whole, to make you fruitful, and make you, give you, put you in a place where you're glorifying him. He said, I know. I know what you need. You don't know what you need. All you need to know is that you need to change. You need to turn. You need to go back to the place, the point where you previously departed. Where you do, there was a you, you notice, and this is for the believer. This is a person that has accepted Christ, who has have experienced the passing from death to life. This is a person that has really accepted Jesus Christ. The very first thing that you'll notice is there is a God, and I want to know Him. That's the first revelation anybody will receive because we knew of God, but we really did not know that there was a God. But so if you're not born again and you've never been born again, you'll know by your desire and what you really want. If, you, if you're not a person that really wants to, God, I really want to know, regardless of your struggle, regardless of your hurt, regardless of your pain, inside is like, God, but I want to love you. I want to know you. That is a sign that you are born again, that God has touched your heart. Any other way which like, you know what? It really doesn't matter. I don't care if I watch. You know, I would say this. You know, you have this attitude that I, and, and, and some of you, some people have been corrected about this attitude. I'll watch, I won't watch the live stream. I'll watch it later because it's recorded. Those are signs that it's really not important to you. You've got to understand those. And not, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're not in a place of restoration. It just means there are certain things that you have to turn from. You have to change. You have to do something different. Because God is like, I need to see that this is important to you. And that's when you'll know that God is going to visit you. Because those things have become important to you. So, I believe this. Our purpose this. I'm going to tell you our purpose and then our goal. And then, we're going to, then I can start talking as much as I want to. The purpose to examine the positioning attitude, which is a heart attitude. There is an attitude that we must be positioned in. It's to examine this posi- the positioning attitude, which is a heart attitude. It must always be at work while you individually are being restored and you're aiding others to be restored. So we're going to examine the positioning attitude, which is a heart attitude. That must always be at work while you individually are being restored and you're aiding others to be restored.
That's the purpose. We're going to examine this positioning attitude because we want to see it. And the goal is, is just going to line up to it. We, that is to ensure and maintain our position in this work. We want to assure this position and we want to maintain this position in this work of restoration in our generation and in the generation to come. Not only in our generation, because you've got to understand, I believe this ministry is doing an outstanding job. An outstanding job as preparing the next generation. The work is going forth. You can see it's evident. It's evident. But it doesn't mean that we can't perfect things. It doesn't mean that we can't bring to a place where it's, this is truth and real and reality. It's easy, my brothers. It's easy to get up here. And that's why I, I, I try to limit certain things. But it's easy to get up here and say things about your pastor. Say things about... It's easy because sometimes people just... And I'm not saying nobody here because only God knows their hearts. Only God. But... I like what, and, 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 and this is, you know, things that I've heard in my heart, things, you know, one minister said, you know, as it, as it pertains to giving, let your giving do the talking. As, as it pertains to uh, your actions of love, let your love, let the, there's actions that follow, let those actions. See, I believe this ministry, and this is, and I, and I can only speak for me, but I believe there's people in this ministry that have to perfect their love. As it pertains to, not just I love God and I love His people, but it has to be perfected to the point. Because remember, restoration is not just the unseen work of preparation. It's the power of God working around you. And how are you allowing God's power to work around you as it pertains? You are the people that work around other people. You are the power of God working around somebody else. It's not just God's power where He's going to do it. You are the vessel that, that actually brings forth the power of God in the life of other people. God is not going to miraculously change somebody's life without you. He's not. And that's what we have to understand that when we say, and I know Sister Hill, uh, Sister Natalie Hill threw that song out the other day of, about the love of God. I love I need you. You need me. We're all part of one family. All of those things are true. You really need your pastor. You really need Minister Hayson. You really need Minister Stinson, Minister Martin, and every minister in you. You need them. You need them. You need, and the thing about it is that you not only need them, because I want to be honest with you, sometimes we think that, that's where the, that, that is where our strength is going to come from, but I'm going to carry it. It's going to come from the least, the least expected person that you thought. The most minute in your eyes. Like, I would have never thought she would have told me that. I would have never thought he would have said that. And then you've got to look at yourself and say, can I be that person? Can I do that? See, until you believe that you can do that, you'll never do that. Until you desire to do that. Say, so you know what? I want to be a blessing in this ministry. I want to do something in this ministry. I want to be an encouragement to somebody. I want to strengthen somebody. I want to make sure that I'm there. See, believe it. Peter needed somebody at that time. And it doesn't say that the disciples were there for him because they were following him. If you notice where Peter was heading, he said, I'll go a fishing. And they're like, we go with you. That's where we're going. We're going to go with you. It doesn't talk about anybody ministering to Peter. But the Lord knew Peter's assignment. Peter's like, Peter, because you want to be great? He said, you're going to serve your brothers. And see, Peter had a desire. You can see the Peter's desire through, the whole, through, the, through his whole walk. It's like, you know what, where else am I going to go? You're the only one that has the words of life. What am I going to do? 
You know, even when he missed it, you know, even they're talking about building a tabernacle for Moses and for, for Elijah, and, and say, so, you know, it's like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Sit down and just be quiet and, and listen. And he sat there. And he was, even when he was corrected, you know, when, and, and hey, can you imagine your pastor saying, you lying devil, just come up to you and tell you, you know, you, you're not, you, you're just, you're walking like the devil, brother. You, you, the devil's speaking through you. You know, that's exactly what Jesus told him. He goes, devil, Satan, get behind me. Imagine how Peter felt being, you know, hey, I'm being used by the enemy. And sometimes that's the place that we got to get to, you know, where somebody is confronting us in that fashion. But my point was, Peter stayed. Peter continued. Peter allowed. Peter said, you know, even in, through all of that, he didn't want to go nowhere. He, he's like, you know, there's some things going on. I'm, I don't understand. I'm, and, and that's what I love about what Jesus was Implementing, Jesus was putting into play to place Peter and the other apostles in the line of restoration. So let's look at, once again, we've looked at Peter's dilemma. Let's go back to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 22, sorry. Let me put my notes in order. So we understand that Peter was about to find himself in his place of restoration, even though he was already there. And you're going to see it throughout this passage of Scripture. But in Luke chapter 22, let me get there. And this is where we'll run. We define some words. So let's look at this, this episode in the Scriptures. And I think it's just beautiful. Luke chapter 22. And we're going to start at verse 15 again. But once again, I'm going to tell you, he just... Once again, he, he spoke to Peter and John, told them, prepare the Passover. They went to prepare the Passover. They're now in this guest chamber, already furnished. Everything's sitting down. They're enjoying a meal. And he says, the very first thing that Jesus says to him, with desire, have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And that thing caught my attention. With desire, have I desired. It says, I have earnestly longed for. Eat this Passover with you before I suffer. See, we can't just pass things. You've got to understand in the Jewish way I understand it, the Jewish, the Jewish society, the Jewish pe- people, they celebrated Passover yearly. So if Jesus was in ministry for three years, he had to at least be this third time that he's celebrating Passover with his, with, his, with his disciples. And so why was it different? Why was it different? Why was this time with desire? I earnestly long to have this Passover for you before. Why was this time different? Why was he earnestly desiring? And think about it. Was it about the meal? It was the meal. All the, it was the same meal all the time. So it couldn't be about the meal. It couldn't be about anything else. I, I'm going to submit to you that it was only what he was going to implement during that. That was communion and devoted service to your brethren. He was going to put something in play. And that was going to be communion and devoted service. And I will say this much. Those things are going to aid you in your restoration. And, and, and we're not going to touch on communion, but that, it, it falls right in line with devoted service to your brethren. Because that's why the Apostle Paul was correcting the Corinthian church. Because they were acting way out of line and weren't remembering their brothers. Those that were suffering and they were having communion. They were having a feast. And they weren't remembering those that were less fortunate. But we're going to go back to this devoted service to your brethren. The phrase stood out to me. Once again, I, I, I made mention of that. So... Let's go to here. John chapter 13. 
It was the communion and devoted service towards your brethren. John chapter 13. And we're going to read quite a few verses again. But let's try to figure this, not figure this out, let's see what the Spirit of God is saying through this. Because remember, we read things and we think that this happened, this happened, this happened, and just right there in this meal. And there's a lot of things that go on. When we have our fellowship, think about it. When we have our fellowship with the brother or the, the, the ladies of the ministry, the women of coming and they go out, there's a lot of things going on on the table. There's a bunch of stuff going on at the table. But sometimes one conversation captures it all. And then they flow with that conversation. But it doesn't mean that other things didn't happen, that other things didn't go on. And John, I love the way John writes, because he details what happened. He details the things that are happening and are transpiring during this time. And then Matthew talks about it. John talks about it. Luke talks about it. They talk from different angles, but John details what he saw. So we're, we're going to go there. What, and I want you to write this. What was to be taken from this episode? And let's read first. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's read. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Let's stop there. We're going to continue reading. But let's talk about this the washing of feet. What God was doing, I want you to understand, because there are people that practice this practice in, in the local church. They practice them. But God wasn't leaving or instituting a practice for the body of Christ. He was not doing that. Because if you look at the scriptures, nowhere do you find the early church practicing this practice. One, not one time do you find, when do you in the scriptures do you notate anywhere where the disciples watch Jesus' feet? Or that they wash one another's feet. Nowhere in the scriptures do you talk about someone washing feet. And you, and other than another passage that I'm going to come out of in a little bit. And you'll see. But the thing is, this episode, Jesus decided to wash their feet. But it was not, and I wrote down, it was not an episode in the script. was not a, a custom of literally washing each other's feet. But it's an immense, I need you to write this down immense humility of service that was displayed. It was supposed to be something that was supposed to be displayed to these disciples. They had to see something going on. It was immense humility of service that was displayed. That's what God wanted them to see. And you're going to see in this conversation, even when it comes to Peter, how immense of this humility it was. It was not, you know, we think, we even have marriage ceremonies that the husband is sitting there washing their, their feet. And then that, that, oh, this is a lovely picture. But I'm going to tell you, it goes way beyond this, this, this portrait, just a portrait of love. It's a humiliating thing. 
It's not, it was not something that people did. I want you to tell, I want to, it's the necessity to wash the feet, it was for comfort and cleanliness. Resulted from dusty roads of Palestine. It was for comfort and for cleanness. Foot washing was a sign of hospitality. And generally it was performed by the meanest slaves. It was not just performed by just anyone. Usually slaves did this thing. Servants did this thing. So his necessity to wash feet was for comfort and for cleanliness. Resulted from the dusty roads of Palestine. And foot washing was a sign of hospitality. I love hospitality. It's the friendly reception and treatment of guests and strangers. So, it says it's a sign of hospitality. So it speaks of how we receive and how we treat one another. That's where this foot washing is, 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 is a sign of. It speaks of the reception we have towards each other and the treatment that we have toward one another. Jesus was like, I'm leaving you in a place where I'm going to aid you in your restoration. And it has to do with your brethren. It's not by yourself. It's not by you alone. He said, I'm going to leave you in this place. And I believe that's what he was doing with the disciples, not even knowing that they were being set up. They were being set up to succeed. These disciples were being set up to make sure they fulfilled the plan of God. They were being set up right here by the Lord. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to show you something. And it's a sign of hospitality, the friendly reception. It speaks of how we receive and how we treat one another. I like this. So it speaks of comfort and it speaks of cleanliness. Comfort, think about this. It means to soothe, to console. To comfort means to soothe and to call, to reassure. Reassure. It speaks of words. So it's, it, this washing was for the comfort of someone else. It was to soothe, to console, and to reassure. Bring cheer to. And I love that one. This last, one of the last definitions reassure. And I love definitions because it helps me minister. But reassure to restore to assurance or confidence. And don't tell me that you don't need to be restored to assurance with your God and with confidence. You have to be, you have to be reassured. But this, this, this thing that he was implementing, this thing that he was setting, this example that he was leaving was so that you can be reassured. You can be comforted. You can be consoled. You can, you can be brought to a place of restored to assurance and confidence. Because I'm going to tell you something. Unless we have those things in our life, we will never fulfill the plan of God. Unless we have assurance from God. And not only assurance from our God, assurance from those that we are with. That they are with me. That I am with you. That I'm going to be here for you. That I remember you. And, and see, not only does Jesus leave an example, He's going to show you how He does that. At the, at the very end of this conversation. He's, going to, he's just going to say, now, I'm not just going to show you this example. I'm going to show you... I'm going to show you the work in action in this same conversation that he's having with his disciples. So we are here at this place. You've got to understand, we're going to still talk about feet washing. You know that it was not a standard operation in the Jewish society. It wasn't standard operation in the Jewish homes. The Jewish, the Jewish servants didn't wash their master's feet. The Gentile slaves might do it. This was considered a menial task. Something humiliating. Something debasing. Debasing, you, where you lower your importance. 
and Jesus. See, and, see, and let's let's go back to you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. Even in Peter's, when he stands up, this was a rebuke. It was not like when when Jesus came to Peter. Because notice how John does it. Let's go back to the scriptures. I'm sorry, this excites me. But in verse 4, after verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper. So he rises. Think about this. He's like he's saying, he details this out, and he's saying, I need you to check this out. Look at this sight. I need you to see this sight. He said, He rises from supper, he laid aside his garments, he took a towel, and girded himself. And after he girded himself, he started pouring water into... And all his disciples are looking at him. So, you know, what is he doing? What's going on? I'm pouring water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the feet. He was comforting them. He was consoling them. He was reassuring them. He was doing all these things to them. He was bringing these confidence, the, 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 bringing them back to comfort, restoring their confidence. He was doing, letting them know that this is... Think about it. After this is finished, you'll see it. But after that, he came to Peter and said, Lord, he didn't say, Hey, Lord, are you washing my feet? He didn't say that. It's used in an extreme way when he says, He got up. If you, re, if you, if you study it out, this, the way he uses thou, it's, it's, it's a contrast. But this contrast between thou and me, it's made in a, in a vivid way. It's full of life. It's, it, you know, it's extreme. It's, it, it's, it's, it's in a place where he's like, does thou wash my feet? Are you doing that for me? Does you, are you washing my feet? Because this is very humiliating. You're not even supposed to be doing that. This is a slave's work. This is something menial. You're not even supposed to even try to do that. He was telling him. Why do you think he told him, you're never going to wash my feet, Lord. Never are you going to wash my feet. Because he saw in his culture, it's like this, was, this, is, this is inappropriate. This is not becoming. You can't do stuff like this. And what did Jesus say to him? What I'm doing now, Peter... You don't know. He said, but you're going to know after. I'm going to explain it to you, Peter. But think about it. Even after that, after he says, you're going to never. Once again, it's, it's a, what's the word? He uses it in a, in a very, uh, in a display that's with a lot of emphasis. As he, as he reads, he says, you know what? You're going to, you're, thou shalt never wash my feet. And I believe all the disciples heard him. You never think about it. John, John was sitting there writing. And, says, and it's so funny because this is Peter. Let me write about Peter. This is Peter's episode. And I want to write about Peter to show you how Peter acted during this episode. And Peter, he goes, Peter, if I don't wash thee, thou hast no part with me. It's so interesting that this act connects me with you. That these things connect us. She was telling Lord Peter, you're not connected with me if you don't do that. You are not. You have no part in what I'm doing. You have no part in the rest of the worms. Again, he brought Peter back to a place. He said, Peter, when you're restored, when? Restore your brother. But if he didn't understand this concept, he would never restore his brother. Because restoring your brother requires, I would say this, how, what measures are you willing to take to humble yourself for somebody else? What measures are you, what changes are you willing to make? Because the fact sometimes is like, hey, I don't want to be wrong. 
And God's like, I don't care if you're wrong. I don't care if the other one's wrong. What are you going to do to console one another? What are you going to do that? What are you going to see this, especially in this political field? I don't care if you voted for Trump. And I don't care if you voted for Biden. That's your choice. You vote for who you want to vote for. But don't separate yourself as brethren because that is not your, that is not our system. Those things are not our system. We cannot sit there and say, I have something against you because you voted something totally against me. That's not God. None of that is God. And, and the thing about it, all of these things he was showing Peter, unless I am positioning you, not only to be restored, but to restore your brethren. So he gets to this place. And it's so interesting because this washing, at times it was a host. At times as a special mark of affection, he would bring a servant to wash your feet. Think about this episode. As a special mark of affection of honor because he wanted to honor and respect you if I invited you into my home and we were in a Jewish society and you came into my home and you sat there it was a special mark of affection if I allowed my servants to wash your feet that was a special mark of affection but Jesus was not a guest at this meal he was the host he was the host at this meal and he said I the host am going to show you the way it's supposed to be done think about this and and we can go on because Think about this. We, we like this. We, we, we like to flip it. Because we're all about sometimes, Lord, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to serve me? What are you going to do to serve me? And let's go to this other episode where somebody washes Jesus, somebody washes somebody's feet. Let's think about the, the woman that came in and, to Simon's house. Remember I told you sometimes these things come from the places that you would least expect it? From people... see. Because it was expected. Because Jesus said, Simon, when I came into Jerusalem, let's, let's talk about this episode. It's in Luke chapter 7. Let's go there. Instead of me explaining, let's, let's go there. Luke chapter 7. Verse 36. And let's read. It says, And one of the Pharisees desired that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she knew that, she brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. What a sight. Just sitting behind him, weeping. And began to wash his feet with, with tears and did wipe them with the hair of her head, hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. I like that. I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And he said unto him, Thou hast right, no, I'm sorry. Simon answered, verse 43, and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Listen to this. I entered into thine house. 
Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But when she hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head, thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. I like that. So he was telling Simon, Simon, and I go back to the statement that Peter made. He says, Lord, that thou wash my feet. See, he was asking the Lord that. But sometimes we look at other people like, really you are going to tell me things about my life? You know, thou? Me? It's so beautiful. That I don't need another minister to minister to me. You've got to understand that. We as ministers, anybody in this congregation can minister to us. Anybody in this congregation can. And see, that's what I'm trying to do. We try to turn it. It's like, the Lord, the, the, the Lord, you need to serve me. And God is like, no, you need to serve someone else. And, and the thing about it in this episode, I love it, because it goes back to, thou hast no part in me. There is connection there. There is restoration there. There is healing there. There is forgiveness there. What does the scripture say in James? Confess your faults one to another, that you may be healed. That is the washing of feet. That is, let me console you. And I'm not talking about going to, just to anybody. The, let the Lord put, place people in your life. You ask God. Lord, place somebody in my life. Somebody that's going to strengthen. Somebody that's going to comfort. Somebody that's going to address me for who I am because I know who I am. I know how frail I am. I know how flaky I can be. I know things that I don't do not right. I know how I think sometimes. I need somebody that's going to tell me about me. And, that's, and a lot of times we look for those people that just, oh, this is what God is doing and that is great. This is what God is doing in my life. But my brother and sister, how are you hanging in there? How are you? Or how, what is, because during this time, I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't, I, I only, and it's, and it's been interesting for me because I believe God has really, uh, you know, uh, blessed me in this fact that I can work from home. During this pandemic, I don't have children that are in school. I don't have children that I'm considering sending to school or homeschooling. I have a mother that I can take care of at home. You know, I can keep her at home. I can stay at home. I can work from home. And my company has allowed me to do that. They've opened that opportunity for me to do that. So some of that, that is not really a struggle. But I can't sit there and say, because I'm not struggling, other people in this congregation are not struggling. There's people that are struggling during the pandemic. There's people that are going through things. There's people that don't have. You know, there's, there's some people, and we could speak, and we think about it. There's some people that have no family here. I can't relate to that. I have bukus of family. I have family that I have family all I see my family all the time. You know, and, and, and the thing is and those things people do not have. So how are we washing our brother and sister's feet? How are we comforting one another? How are we strengthening one another? So we get back to this episode of the scriptures. Let me move on. Let's look at something. We're going to go to the book of John, chapter 21. But I want you to understand something about the Lord's attitude. Regardless of how others viewed it. And see, that's just it. 
we got to get past how other people may view something. You know, regardless how others viewed it or others thought about it. Because he cared less what Peter thought about what he was doing. He's like, no, I'm trying to teach you something. But let's look at everything that was happening there. Even after all of that, even after all that went has conspired, this is what I'm telling you, what Peter was at a place of restoration, but he was needing restoration already. Think about what happened in this passage of Scripture. After he told him about this, this, uh, this uh, immense humility of service that you owe to your, you owe this to your brother. They are your guests. You owe that to your brother. You owe them to console them. You owe them to comfort them. You owe them to reassure them. That is your responsibility. That is not just their responsibility because sometimes we get caught up about, but I need consoling. I need reassuring. I need this. I need that. And God is like, no. You're going to see that and how he commands Peter. But Peter, during all this, after he showed them everything, after he washed their feet, he tells them, the hand of him that's betraying me is at the table with me. And look at their attitude. They start to inquire amongst themselves. Think about this. And I, I like to think about it. You know, they start to inquire about yourself. Imagine if I came to you, Minister Hayes and Minister Castillo, and I said, you know what? You're going to betray this ministry. And I said, you're going to betray this ministry. I guarantee you, in every human being, a defense mechanism will come up about why you believe that you will not betray this ministry. And you can't tell me that the disciples didn't have that conversation. Think about Nathaniel. When Nathaniel, I'm an Israelite indeed. You know, I know Jesus said, I'm an Israelite. There's no guile in me. Think about Peter. It's like, wait, I'm the first person that recognized that Jesus Christ was the Christ. He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. They inquired among themselves. This just didn't happen. They had a conversation about who would betray them and why. Why do you think the next episode is? And then there was a, commu- a, 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 a an argument about who was the greatest. Because in their, in their mind, they thought, John was like, man, I sit at this brother's feet. I lay my head on his bosom. There's no way I'm going to betray my Lord. There's no way. There's no way it can be me. I guarantee Judas even probably said, I don't do that. He's even thinking about that. You know, all these things that, you know, he, he could have, you know, these conversations, he could have put up a front, whatever it may be. But there was a conversation. But then he tells him, you know, you're considering, you're trying to consider yourself great, but you've missed the whole thing that I told you about serving your brother. It doesn't matter, because think about it. He washed Judas's feet. He washed his feet. He, he was there. I, I, that's why I think, I don't know, he, the, the scriptures call him the son of perdition. God knows that he was going to betray the Lord. But I can't, I, I can't imagine that there was no, no room for repentance. That there was no time where he could say, you know what, this is wrong. You know, because God is just not like that. It's like when he says, Esau I loved and J- Jacob, no, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. It means nothing like that. It just means Jacob was towards the purpose of God and Esau wasn't. See, so it's all about, in this episode, when he brings them to this point, it's like you're forgetting about this service of love for your brethren. And not about how great you can be and about how great you're going to be in ministry. It's not about all that. But then let's go to John chapter 21 and we'll finish with this. John chapter 21. Let's start at 
So, in this episode, in the scriptures, this is where Jesus meets Peter. Where he meets the disciples. And you know that all of them weren't there? The twelve disciples weren't there. I think there were seven of them. As he names them, who were there, and two others. But all the disciples weren't there. And then uh, he meets them. But I love the fact, the restoration, even when we talk about Peter, we talk about when he said, Peter, when you're converted, go strengthen your brother. Peter, when I told you that he was at a place, at a restoration, even though he needed restoration through this whole time, he just didn't, it wasn't identified, even at the time where Jesus told him, you're going to need to be restored, he didn't believe it. So we're going to get to this passage of Scripture in verse, let's start at verse Okay, that's where we're going to start. Let's start at verse 14. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? I like that. He says unto him, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto, saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, he's talking to Peter, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whether thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee up and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved, following which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. So, let's get back to this. He said, the very first thing he said, Lovest thou me more than these? And you can read this two different ways. You can say, Do you love me more than you love them? Or, is your great love greater than their love? And I like that second one. Lovest thou me more than these? Because remember, the argument was about who was the greatest. When, Jesus, when, when they were at that, that, that Passover. And he said, lovest thou me more than these? Do you think you're greater than these? And he said, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he said, feed my lambs. Then he asked him, he leaves, him, leaves out the, the these. He says, Peter, do you love me? And, then, and then, like Sister Castillo said, he uses the word agape. He says, do you love me enough to lay down your life for me? And in the very end, he, bring, he comes down to a point where, Peter, this is where you're at. You love me like a friend. He said, do you love me? Do you phileo me? Do you love me like a friend, like a dear friend? Are you close to me? He said, Lord, you know that I do. Peter, could never, Peter now understood that I'm not at that place where I'm not at that place, Lord, where I can lay down my life for you. 
Even though I thought, and I liked what he said, lovest thou me more than these? Because to me, he's like, Peter, you consider yourself great, but you don't understand when I said, he that would be great, let him be the servant of all. He said, you're going to serve these brothers. You're going to serve them in a capacity that's extreme. And you're going to lay down your life. But I want you to understand is that Peter was not restored at that time. That was not restoration for Peter. Peter was being restored. Because if Peter was restored, he would have understood, I can lay down my life. He wasn't there. And that's what I get you to understand. It doesn't matter if you're not there. What are you doing? What are you doing? You cannot stop there because I'm not, I am not... It's like, and, and I'm going to show you. Uh, this is what I wanted to show you. Remember that I told you that Jesus was giving them an example and then He was going to actually put it into place. He was going to set it. He was going to show them. Remember what He told Peter. Remember the, 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 the sign of washing with feet was for comfort. Comfort is to console, to, 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 to soothe, it's to, to reassure, it's to restore to confidence, assurance. It's to do that. Remember what He told Peter? He goes, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan had desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, I am reassuring you, son, I'm bringing you to a place. I'm showing you this is the washing of feet. I'm showing you. I, I experienced that just, and, I, and I'll say this, Minister Hill, when he called me the other day and we were chatting, you know, we were talking about some things. And I told him, I'm playing it. As you know, you know, there's some things that I'm still having to work out. Some things that I still have to put in place. He goes, my brother. And he started washing my feet, not even knowing. Not even understanding. Telling me who I was. And it, it doesn't matter. You, that's what I'm trying to You don't need some, you know, some great person. It could be the person that you least expected to tell you, this is, what I, this is what I see. This is what God... This is how the ministry... This is how the ministry views you. Do you understand? So it's not about all these other things. It's about the washing. It's how are you washing your brother's feet? How are you comforting them? Because it's not only about you being restored. It's about them. Because once again, you know Peter wasn't restored because he looks at John and he says, well, what about this guy? And he defines him. The one that laid his hands on... You know, this, this is the person that... It's so funny how John, how John writes the scriptures. But he's talking about himself. Talking about his own self. Saying, hey, he, was, he was dressing me. You know, this is the person that he was talking about. He said, but what about him? He said, what is that to you? You follow me. Remember I told you? There's one sure thing... One sure place in restoration that you will always come back to. And that is following Him. And service to your brothers. You, in restoration, it's all about following God and, re- and restoring. Not only you being restored, because He was telling Peter, think about it. If you were to tell Peter, well, Lord, I can't lay down your life for you, so why should I continue? Why should I be serving my brothers? Why? And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter where you're at. You don't have to be in a place where you're... like. I am restored. I'm this person. I'm this giant. I'm gonna, I can tell you this. I'm praying this much. I'm doing this. What are you doing where you're at right now? Because God is like, no, you're not standing. He didn't allow Peter to stand still. He said, no, Peter, what's that to you? You're going to follow me. You're going to come after me. You're going to be my disciple. You're going to come. I, where I go, you're going to go. See, that's what you've got to understand. Is God does not excuse you because you're in a place of restoration to be a blessing to your brother. You're not excused. Not one member of Church of the Living Water, is, not one member of Church of the Living Water is excused from washing their brother's feet. 
being a being a being a, 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 a consoling them, soothing them, reassuring them, and all of that that I heard from my minister minister Hill that came straight from my pastor. You know those things that straight from them because that was God putting it. It's like and I tell you you haven't been forgotten. This was the whole message. You haven't been forgotten. No one has forgotten you. So don't forget your brother. At the place that you're at, start remembering your brother. Start looking to your brother. Start calling your brother. Start saying, brother, how can I, you know, is there anything I can pray for? You may not have anything to give them. Is there anything I can do to pray for you? Is there something that I can do, you know, just to encourage, strengthen you? Those are the things that I need and every member of this ministry needs. Because some members of this ministry, their husbands are not walking with God. Some people in this ministry, their children are wayward. Their children are rebellious. Some people in this ministry, they're having financial issues. Whatever it may be, you got to be to point and say, you know what? Those things don't scare me. You are my brother. And this is where I need you. I need you to follow me. I need to keep up. But see, those, that takes work. That really does work. Because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I need to do that. Those are things that I need to do. Those are things that, you know what? How can I perfect my love to my brother? Not just words. And, and we can go beyond that. We talk about a pastor's appreciation. Those things that we do, pastor's compensation, assessment, all these things, I cannot say, and I made mention of this, no one can say that something doesn't work and something is not of God if you refuse to order your life. If you don't order your life and you say, no, that doesn't work, you just refuse to order your life. You don't know if it works or it doesn't work. You don't know if it's of God or doesn't, isn't of God. You have to make a decision that you order your life and, 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 and know where you're at and understand that don't stop. Wherever you're at, don't stop. Say, i got to get... See, the believer wants to please God. That's where the believer wants to be. So, my brothers and sisters, I encourage you that as we talked about Peter, you know, read these passages of scriptures. But no, God was not. The Lord was not just because if you think about it, we don't continue washing feet. Why did he do it? Why was she? Why was he with desire? Have I desire to have this Passover with you? Because there's some things that I want to set in order that this is going to aid you in your life. It's going to show this is the love that the disciple was supposed to have for one another. They were supposed to not just think about themselves, but make sure that their brother was at a place where they were being provided for, they were being cared for, they were being taken care of. And all of that. You know, I think about, that was a mighty word given to the, young, uh, to the, to the unmarried about their, their, uh, their you know, the, the fasting in their life. I'm like, Wow. You know, that, that was, that was, that was, you know, this is, but if you think about it, that's a part of your restoration. That is just a part of your restoration of being restored, of knowing, see, because my brother and sisters, you have to come to a point that says, God, I want this with all my heart, but if you don't have this for me, I don't want it. If this is not for me, I don't care how long, what you've been, what you've invested in, you know, how you're invested, invested in something, it doesn't matter. If it's not of God, it's not of God. And I guarantee you that after your fast, after you, even though I will tell you this much, it doesn't matter if you've struggled. Where you're at, get up and do it. 
It doesn't matter if you struggled, you've missed it. Get up and do it. Say, you know, God, I've missed it. I fest, I confess to you, I've missed it. I didn't believe, but I want to believe. I want to trust. So day by day, just get up and say, you know, this is not food. This is not food. This is about a relationship. Say, you know what? And if you think about it, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. If they're for you, they will be for this. They will be for this. If they're for you, think about Jacob. Jacob's like, man, I've been deceived. I got Leah, but I'll serve another seven years just to get you. This should be your sacrifice to get this person. If you're a man, you should say, you know what, I sacrifice this. This is going to be my sacrifice. I, I want this. This is who I want, Lord. I will do this because I desire her. I believe God will honor those things. Because it's your choice. It is your choice in the marriage. It's your choice to choose who you want. But I believe a woman that even sees that, I'm willing to lay this down just to have you. I am willing not to see you. I am willing not to communicate with you. I am willing not to text you. I am willing not to call you. I am willing not to, not to social media you. I am willing because I am willing to pay the price to get you. See, those are the, that's the attitude of the believer. It's not, no, no way, it's no way, we can't do this. If you can't do it, you're, gonna, you're looking for a life of misery. You really are. You're looking for a life of misery. Because if you can't sacrifice it for them now, you will not sacrifice for them then. Not when you're married. They will not. So look at it as a sacrifice for the love of that person. But I'm going to leave you with that. It's been a blessing, my brothers. And one thing I want to say, I thought about this. Uh, the scripture says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Restoration is not about a position as it pertains to a title. It's really not. It's about, once again, being whole. All I want to do is be right with God. Being whole, being fruitful, and being a place where you're glorifying God. And my brother, as a member, you can do that right where you're at. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.